This is the EWN Podcast Network. Everybody wants to win. It's how we define success in life. Michelle Nagel explores resilience, teaches you happiness hacks, and provides tools for building positive relationships, all of which are essential for winning at the game of life. Join us to learn how to roar. Welcome to Roar to Win. This is Michelle Nagel. And our guest today is Zarina El-Amin, who's an anthropologist, global presenter, and social entrepreneur from Detroit, Michigan. As a multi-passionate individual, Zarina treats her entrepreneurship like art. Business is her canvas to share ideas of culture, global love, and authentic expression. She's the founder of three companies, which she calls movements, Book Power Publishing, a self-publishing firm that helps entrepreneurs and planet shakers with write powerful books to build their business, leave a legacy, and help humanity. Beautifully Wrapped, a global project that uses the global art of head wrapping as a way to explore the intersection of fashion, tradition, and faith. Here, Zarina has a traveling exhibition that has been exposed to over 12,000 people around the world. Her third movement is Enliven Your Soul. Here, Zarina takes women around the world for transformational travel experiences. She's taken groups to Morocco, Indonesia, and Senegal, and is now preparing for Sierra Leone, Bali, and Turkey. Zarina has been featured on several media, including CBS, NPR, Fox, and has an upcoming TED Talk about unexpected connections. As the mother of three beautiful children, Zarina says her ultimate goal is to help usher in a global culture of love. So welcome, Zarina. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I am so glad that you have joined us today. So what I find kind of amusing and intriguing about you is I've always met anthropologists, and what they have always said to me is, I took the degree in college, and now I can't do anything with it. And so you're actually using anthropology as part of your business, and I really admire that. So how did you get into that? Yeah, you know, I am an applied anthropologist, as they call us, um, and I am sort of the opposite of those other anthropologists. I came into anthropology by choice. Um, my undergrad was in computer science, so I was <laughs> in the STEM field, <laughs> and honestly, I did not really choose computer science. When I think back on it, I don't think I made a conscious decision, like, I want to be a computer programmer. That was never a part of my thinking. It was more of convenience and there was more of, there was a scholarship available. And so I went into it, you know, how you can do something. So you just do it. That was pretty much how it came down to it. Um, but at the end of my career, I went to Howard University in uh, Washington, DC. And it was around senior, it was really around junior year. I was like, uh-uh, <laughs> this is not the right field for me. I was good at it. I had job offers, but I just knew it wasn't the right thing for me. And so that made me start thinking about, okay, what is the right thing for you? And I had been doing a lot of domestic uh, development work, you know, around um, eco programs, ecology programs and things like that. And so um, that changed my mindset from STEM into more of serving the world type of, you know, programs. Um, to make a long story short, I moved to Egypt after uh, college instead of going into the STEM fields. And I'll tell you, Michelle, everybody was like, that's stupid, Zarina. Like, why would you turn down the lucrative career? You achieved the goal that we all set out for you. You know, you went to college, you got good grades, you got a job with benefits. Like, why would you turn that down to go move across? The world to some place that you don't even know, you know, without any friends. But um, that decision, even though it was kind of nerve wracking for those around me, it felt right for me. And moving to Egypt, being in a culture that was so very different from my own, really opened me up to, I guess, different ways of living, different ways of expression, different ways of um traversing through the earth and so from egypt i lived there for about a year and i came back to the states and i started working in international development in sierra leone <laughs> and um, sierra leone if you know anything about sierra leone it's a small west african country and it's very um heavy with diamonds so it's a very like 
a lot of natural resources are in that small country. So you can imagine that a lot of people want those resources <laughs> that are in that small country. And so a civil war began over control of the diamond mines. And so um, I worked in Sierra Leone like about 10 months after the war ended. So wow. you know, at this point, you have thousands and thousands of children who have been orphaned during the war. Mm -hmm. You have conditions on the ground that are absolutely horrendous, right? But you also have a spirit of resilience. You also have a spirit of forgiveness. And um, my job there was to kind of bring back morale to our office, our, our office, our field office there. And one of the projects that I had was a library. And so I used to bring books from the United States over. And there was one book <laughs> that I saw and I was like, I'm keeping this book for myself. And it was Introduction to Anthropology. <laughs> and I took that book and I started reading it and I was like, oh my God, you know, this is exactly what I like to do. Study cultures, be in the world, see how people live. And so, um, that like was the spark and so when i came back to the states my husband at that time was doing his math his, his phd in psychology uh-huh so i was like okay well i should go back to school at the same time like i should do something while he's doing his phd i can go back to school they did not have a phd program in anthropology but they had a master's program uh -huh. and so that's what i did and that really kicked off my anthropology stuff but i want to say one thing in relationship to what you said earlier because I feel like the field of anthropology is at a crossroads, you know, where you have people like me who are applied anthropologists and we're on the periphery. Like the stuff that I do doesn't really get a lot of recognition within academia, right? You get recognition and you make a, your way and you make a wave in society. But in academia, the stuff that I do isn't really kind of what is seen as the stuff that will push you towards being uh, a tenured professor or something like that. So, um, so anyway, academia for me wasn't going to be the route to go. Mm -hmm. So I had mm -hmm. to apply it. So that's a long answer, but <laughs> that's how it all came about. Well, that is fascinating, though. So you, you followed your heart and you had the courage to not uh, be terribly influenced by everybody else's hysteria over your choice not to go into the computer field. And that's, that's something we can all learn from, is that, I mean, what do you think, how did you feel when you thought about sitting behind a desk and programming computers all day long? Oh, you know, I loved computer science in the way that I loved that it was a problem that needed to be solved and you figure out, you know, how to fix that problem. I like that side of it. But staying inside a, a building for eight hours a day where some people find solitude or, you know, some respite in that, I didn't get that. I just couldn't do it. It just wasn't for me. So, um, yeah, I had to choose a different way. So how it sound, you said that you, uh, you liked the part where you had a problem and you needed to find a solution to the problem. How does that apply to the, your love of anthropology of what you do now? Yeah, it's funny because my brother is such, and they tease me, um, like, you don't even use your computer science degree. I said, oh, the contrary. Like, <laughs> I use it all the time, but just in a different way. You know, I th think the STEM fields, they cause you to think in a very linear methodological way, right? And so when I am approaching a particular problem within anthropology, when I'm looking at right now, my big thing right now is centered around how can we build what I call a global culture of love, right? Uh -huh. And so we have all of these different ethnic groups, religious groups, different cultures, different communities. And unfortunately, when we kind of force diversity, we find that it's not working the way that we would like it to work. And so you have a lot of people that don't understand Understand other folks and then when you don't understand someone you then fear or hate 
or have other types of negative emotions centered around them. And so my big thing now in general, like as a whole, is how can we create more connections and love and understanding between all of these different groups? Um, and that's pretty much a big puzzle, right? Yes. <laughs> it's pretty much uh, like how, how are you going to do that? And so it all comes into play, you know, it all comes into play. What I'm learning now is that the things that we think are disconnected are more connected. Mm-hmm. than you could ever have even imagined. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if you, if you peel all that away, we're all people with the same emotions, the same needs and, and desires and things. So um, I love, really love that you're interested in creating a global culture of love because in the work that I do, um, everything has to be done from the heart. It's heartful living, not mindful living. It's heartful mm-hmm. living. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes the difference for people. So you, with this incredibly varied background that you have, what would you just say to somebody who, uh, say, didn't have the courage to go after their dreams and decided to follow the path of safety and, mm-hmm. um, and what everybody else told them to do, and they're miserable in it? So what would you have mm-hmm. to tell them? Are you familiar with the uh, motivational speaker by the name of Les Brown? Uh-huh. Okay, so Les Brown, I love him anyway. He's one of my favorite guys. You know, you put him on when you feel a little low and you need a kind of an energy boost. So he has this one story of being at a cemetery or such where like you imagine that you're in the ground and all of the dreams that you had, all of the ideas that you have, they're kind of standing around your grave and looking down at you like we came to you (laughs) like we were supposed to come to you you were supposed to bring us to life but now you're down there like they're just dead you know and when i thought about that i said really like what what do you want to have happen in your life when you get an idea that i feel is divinely inspired you know you get an idea that's placed onto your heart you have the choice to either just push it to the side, or you can hear that and you can obey. So I call this like hear and obey. So you hear the call, you hear the inspiration, and then you say, okay, I'm going to move forward with that. And we don't have to understand how it's going to be done at that moment. All we have to understand is that because God, I am a God fearing, I use the word God, you can use universe, whatever you like to use, you know, but in my, uh, my world, because God put that onto your heart, then the way already exists. (laughs) You just need to start taking the steps. And so I feel like a lot of times, even the the weight of not doing it is even heavier than the discomfort that comes with trying something new. Like the idea of, oh my God, I really want to do this. I should do this. I could do this. And having that like run through your head for years, Uh that is like a burden. Like a, a mental burden that almost becomes like a physical burden that you start to feel. And so um, just start, <laughs> just do it. And you may find that it may not work out exactly the way that you thought it was going to work out. Like there may be some additional challenges. There may be some things that were a little bit different than what you had imagined at the onset. But when you continue to go forward, you'll find that it's exactly the way it's supposed to be. Like all of those challenges, even are learning opportunities for you to grow. They're mm-hmm. kind of like push-ups for your, for your uh, evolution muscles, if you will. Yeah, I've always liked the saying, God can't guide your footsteps if you're not taking any. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. That is so true, yes. <laughs> yeah, so, okay, you go to all of these countries. Does that mean that you're multilingual? Do you know all the languages? <laughs> I do not. I know more Arabic than any other language, um, but I don't know. I don't know other languages. Like I'm getting ready to go to Colombia for myself right now, just um, not not taking a group, but just on my own. And so I'm doing like a crash course in Spanish um, just to get my mind familiar with the language. Because I don't even know Spanish. It's like the, the number one language here in the United States. Right. But I don't know it. Um, but I find that oftentimes you don't even really need to know the language in order to have an amazing experience in a foreign country. Like what you do need to have is um, a sense of connecting to other people. 
um, and being willing to kind of talk. But on the practical side, you can get a translator. <laughs> you know, there are plenty of, tra- you can use Google Translate. I use Google Translate all the time because mm-hmm. it's very, very, very uh, helpful and useful for me to be able to kind of connect when I'm not around somebody that is dual lingual, you know, be able to speak right. more. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm not yet, but I do want to learn French. I want to get fluent in Arabic and I want to get fluent in um, Spanish too. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's great. So your entrepreneurship is varied too. You've got three different movements that you started. Mm-hmm. Uh, first question is, why did you decide to call them movements instead of businesses? Mm. You know, I, I, when, when I started doing things, a lot of people would tell me, just pick one. Like, just pick one, go deep, that's it. Just, just pick one. And um, I tried that for some time <laughs> because that was what, that is the conventional, and I understand the wisdom of it. That's the conventional way of thinking. But for someone like me that is an artist kind of at heart, that is a multi-passionate cultural type of person at heart, like for me to stay in one thing is almost like torture. And right. what I found with Beautifully Wrapped in particular, it was the first one that really made me realize it was more than just a business. It was indeed a movement. Was um, Beautifully Wrapped, it, it started out as a calendar and it's centered around the global art of head wrapping. So I wear head wraps every, pretty much every single day when I'm outside. And I've been wearing head wraps uh, for a really long time. And from people being super interested in my wraps, that led to me creating and publishing a calendar, an annual calendar. And that led to me then starting to do library workshops on the global art of head wrapping. And then that led to me curating an exhibition, which is traveling around. And the emails that I get and the messages and the inboxes that I get made me realize that it was much bigger than what I had originally envisioned and like for example right now i did not do a calendar this year um my mom passed earlier uh just um uh two months ago actually so my mom passed two months ago and um i decided that i wasn't going to do a calendar this year and i wasn't going to do my big event i do this big event with like a couple of thousand people centered around head wrapping and i didn't do it when i tell you michelle (laughs) the emails that i get like almost every single day like where is the expo i love that expo i really want it made me realize that it actually was a movement and when people started talking about um how it made them feel like the emotional side of it where i thought it was just a calendar but it's like the emotional side that people connected to Mm -hmm. i said wow you know this is really deep so i feel like entrepreneurs um especially those who are super passionate about what they're doing. And when it is an expression of self, it can then become a movement for the positive evolution of our society in whatever way you are looking to enhance society. And so that may be, you know, creating more beauty in the world through colorful paintings that may be helping people to, um, to really reach their full potential that may be helping people to make more sales in their business or whatever it is, you know, they all contribute to um, the positive evolution of society. And so I feel like, yeah, for me, it's bigger than just making a quick book. It's more of how can I assist society? I know that the first time I met you, you had on one of your gorgeous head wraps and, Mm -hmm. and, they're also very, very colorful, and you're a beautiful woman anyway, so. Well, thank you. <laughs> but they make you, oh, you just glow when you have them on, and, and I actually watched one of your expos, of the, the head wrap expo that you had done, and it, it brought me to tears, oh. and I've never worn a head wrap in my life, obviously, so I mean, it, maybe not obviously, but it's not a culture that I've been exposed to, mm-hmm. and I was just, I was literally moved at, at how you celebrated a culture here in the United States that doesn't really exist in the United States as much as it does from these other cultures that you're bringing in and reawakening uh, here for 
maybe descendants of people who have come from those other countries or people who have emigrated from those other countries. And I really respect what you're doing, Zarina, to just um, to ex uh, expand our awareness of other cultures and the beauty that is uh, inherent in them that it's, you know, people dress like that every day, I assume, in many places where you have visited. And people don't get to see that. We get to see um, just kind of a, you know, everybody, everybody wears kind of the same thing. You know, we all shop at the same stores. Mm-hmm. And it's boring. It's quite mm-hmm. boring. Mm-hmm. So to have you bring in these these beautiful cultures and celebrate them like that, it, it just was very moving to me. And I really do appreciate what you do. So oh, you. I appreciate you saying that. You know, I'll say with the different cultures, um, and for those who, who are not quite familiar with the global art of head wrapping, you know, head wrapping is something that is cultural, is spiritual. It's religious for different people. Different people have different reasons for uh, for wearing head wraps. But in the United States, if you take our entire culture and then you take the different subcultures which make up, you know, the huge United States, you will find that there are so many different subcultures within our society that oftentimes are present, but people don't have the ability to get into or connect with. So for example, like the Sikh Indians, right? So you see the Sikh Indians, so you see the men wearing their turbans, you see them sometimes, they're here, they're present, they're around, right? right? But you don't really get the opportunity to ask them, like, what is Sikhism? How, what do you all believe? Why do you wear the turban? Why don't you cut your hair? You know, you don't really get a chance to, to ask those questions. And so for me, um, I worked as a diversity officer. So I worked in the university as a um, diversity programmer and creating programs for the university and the community. And what I found was that after a while, you start to have the same people Mm -hmm. coming to the programs, right? These were people who were already open-minded. They already kind of had within them a natural curiosity about learning about other folks. And that's great. We want to serve those people but you also want to be able to reach the folks who would never come to a diversity program or when they see it, they're like, oh, whatever, and just keep going away. And so what I found was that utilizing art and fashion in particular, in this case, head wrapping, was a way to be able to pull at the curiosity of people without hitting them over the head with diversity, 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 Uh diversity. (laughs) You know, like it was a way to kind of pull them in and it works and, um, and people love it. And so I've had folks like from Bulgaria, I have a lady that is a Bulgarian photographer and she came to the expo, my head wrap expo. And, um, she was so excited about the African raps, even though we have raps from all over the world, like Bulgaria, Romania, we have raps from all over. Like people don't think Europe has raps, but they do. So we had raps from all over, um, but she had never experienced the African side. And so she was so excited that like a couple of years later, she started going to Africa. <laughs> so now she's on like her fourth trip to Africa, different parts of Africa, like all over, you know, just from her coming to the Head Wrap Expo. And so for me, like that stuff is when I realized like it's bigger than just making a quick buck. Like this is the ability to really change the way people think and act and be human. Yeah, uh, that's beautiful. Thank you so much. So um, obviously, that's the way entrepreneurship can be art. Um, The the head wrapping movement that you have created, it is, it's artistic, it's very incredibly beautiful. You also have uh, the books, which that is an, an, an art thing. And how did, tell me about your travel experiences. How did you start doing that? You started taking groups of women with you. You know, when people see you do something, they can get the feeling that it's possible for them as well, right? So sometimes you have a community of friends and you may be the first one. You're like the outlier that starts to do something. But then when you do it, they see you and you're like, oh my God, like I can do that too. So for traveling in my community where I'm from in Detroit, Michigan, um, I didn't have a lot of people that traveled a lot around me. I didn't grow up watching a lot of people travel. I am African-American Muslim. So I will say that 
my particular intimate community, we had people that would go to Hajj, right? So they would go to Saudi Arabia for the pilgrimage. But outside of that, I didn't really have a lot of people that were going all over the world and such. Um, they may go to Senegal or Ghana or something like that, but that would be like, you know, the, end, the extent of it. Um, so when I started traveling and when I would come back home, um, I used to sell different wares from the places that I was traveling to. And Egypt was the first place that I went to for uh, any length of time. So I would brought back a lot of things from Egypt. And so when I was talking to them, they would come to my table. They would ask me, oh, what's this? What's this? What's this? And so they would get so excited. And they were like, oh, my God, I want to go with you one day. Like, I want to go with you. Uh-huh. And so from there, I was like, okay, you know, yeah. I said, one day we can go together. But I wasn't thinking, like, I would actually start to do real programs. And one day, honestly, Michelle, like, one day I was just like, you know what? I think I'm going to take a group of women with me. And so I decided to go to Morocco. And um, that was my first one. And I had not been to Morocco in, like, it had been over maybe 15, true, maybe, like, 19 years it had been since I had been to Morocco, you know, and so um, I chose Morocco, and it, I had 22 women on that first trip. I brought in another uh, co-facilitator so that we would be able to handle a group of that size. And um, it was magical. It was absolutely magical. It was just, like, beautiful from end to end. And so from there, I was pretty much hooked. <laughs> um, I was like, this is it. Like, this is the best thing ever. So, uh, yeah, so I went to, I did Morocco. We did three trips to Morocco. I did Indonesia and um, Senegal. And then we're going to go this year to Sierra Leone and to Bali and to Turkey. So for the future years, what I want to do is to pick different regions around the world. Some women are coming with me like on multiple trips throughout the year so Uh that they can kind of have that compare and contrasting of the different cultures. Uh And then some people are just going to go on one. But Uh all of them are kind of anthropological tours as well as a way to really um, tap into your soul. I call it like a soul audit, like a mini soul audit. It's like deepening all the, looking at all the levels of yourself and pulling them back and really getting in. And so that's what we do. And um, they're amazing for me as well as the women who have come with me. That, that's wonderful. We need to take a, a quick break right here. And then uh, please come back and we'll continue our conversation with Zarina El Amin, who's an anthropologist and a global presenter and social entrepreneur. So come right back. Have you ever asked yourself this question, why is it so hard to make a buck? (laughs) I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating $1 million in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Welcome back. This is Michelle Nagel with Roar to Win. And today I'm interviewing Zarina El Amin, who is an anthropologist, global presenter, social entrepreneur, and pretty great all-around lady. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, um, Zarina, I really, really have enjoyed our conversation so far. So um, why did you name what you do with, with taking women on trips to these different countries? You named it Luminaries. Why? <laughs> I named it Luminary because for me, a luminary is someone that lights up the world, but also is someone that, um, that sees 
an issue or a problem and works to make it better, right? And so luminaries, like my definition of a luminary, is a woman that is true to herself. She is authentic. She learns about herself. And then she lights up the world with whatever it is that is her uniqueness, her unique light bulb, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so for us, what I've always found with the, um, with the trips is that it's like you can almost see it. Like there are some moments when I'll be in a particular place, like we're doing something. Like let's say, for example, like in Morocco, we were in the middle of the Sahara Desert, right? So we're in the middle of the desert. We had just taken, some people t- took a camel or there, and some people took the four by fours. So we're there it's in our middle, our desert campsite, the night is coming, so the stars are starting to come out, and we're outside, and we make a bonfire. And when I was looking like at the ladies, like there was just such a sense of peace <laughs> and such a sense of appreciation and respect for the land, but also like a sense of awe. And it's like when that little bit of, of light comes into their spirit, for me, it's contagious. Like I love being able to see when that light, like when that spirit comes to the ladies that are going with me on the trips. And then they get so excited that they want to go and do whatever it is that they feel called to do at a bigger level. Mm-hmm. And that for me is the spirit of luminary in general. So it's become now, you know, a year pro, year long program for women who want to um, not only see the world. So it's not like going to a I'm not putting it down, so don't don't take it that way. But it's not it's different travel than going to an all inclusive resort in Mexico or something like that, like mm-hmm. or Jamaica, where you just are on the resort for the entire time. Uh-huh. Like you can get some ahas and stuff there, but the type of things that we do are are more off the beaten path and um, really allow for some deep enlivening times. Mm-hmm. So it's probably more exposure to the culture, the actual people who actually live there as opposed to a resort setting, which is pretty much a canned experience. So Yeah, we try to get out, you know, we bake bread, we do cooking classes with an old grandma, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, things like that. We go to some cities that most people, most tourists would not go. So you probably wouldn't really see them in Lonely Planet or, you know, something like that. So yeah, it's a chance to kind of get out, but not only about them, but also for your own self. So it's like the juxtaposition between learning about the bigger culture that you're stepping into and then using that experience to also learn about yourself at the same mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so you have a rather unique name. It's Zarina. And a lot of us think about, we want to be more globally minded, but it's, it's really kind of scary to step out and, and do that. And so what would you, how would you help somebody to be able to have more of a global mindset to get rid of that fear? Like you talk about going to these different uh, communities that perhaps a, a normal tourist wouldn't be able to get to. And for some of us, that's a little bit scary because... Uh, you know, we immediately start thinking about all the horror stories we hear about traveling in different countries. Mm-hmm. I recently went to um, to, uh, to Switzerland all by myself. It was the very first time I'd ever traveled a length of anywhere alone. And for me, that was a little bit nerve wracking. I made it. I survived. I came home. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but thinking about, you know, going to a, a, a different country that is is so different in culture mm-hmm. is a little bit scary so what would you how can regular people like that who might be afraid mm-hmm. of doing that what can they we do to overcome that fear yeah you know i think that the fear you have to get comfortable with the fear because everyone even seasoned travelers they may not be fearful, but they definitely still have a little bit of like apprehension or a little bit of anxiety when you're stepping into something new. And as human beings, we're wired for that. Like we want to have consistency. We want to have the, the same, we want to be, have our familiar, our, our familiar 
um, surroundings, right? Those are things that bring us comfort. And so we already understand that human beings, when we get out of something that is our norm, it causes a little bit of dissonance, right? It causes that little bit. And so you just are going to just recognize that, yeah, that comes as a part of the territory. It comes as a part of the territory. But what I found is that when you are able to say, okay, I get that, but I'm just going to go anyway. I'm just going to try it anyway. I'm going to talk to people. You realize that people um, really open up to you. And one of the things that I love about travel is that especially when you're in a place where you don't know a lot of people there, like you get to choose who you are (laughs) in that moment. You know what I mean? Like when you went to Switzerland, like you're Michelle, right? They can see you as Michelle, the, the, the master of this podcast, or you could have been like Michelle, a lady that likes to dance on top of the tables. Like you could do whatever you want to be. Like you have that freedom to, really try out different parts of your identity even. Mm -hmm. And so I think that travel in itself is such a wonderful university because it teaches you about the world, but it also teaches you about yourself at the same time. So I would say just go ahead and do it. You know, for those of you who are who, who would love to travel, but you need a little bit more sense of familiarity, a couple of practical things that you can do beforehand is like whatever country you're going to go to, go on to YouTube, like search up that country, watch some videos or such, right? Because you can see then like places on the ground, you can hear how people talk, you can hear what they sound like. And those things will start to give you a little bit more of an insider's Um, mindset into that particular country so that's one thing and another thing is that I always like to learn at least a few words from whatever region I'm going to I may not be fluent you know I'm not fluent you know I may not be able to hold a conversation but just knowing a few words not only helps you have respect for that particular region and culture, but it also shows the people that you meet that like you respect them and you're trying, you know, um, what a lot of people from United States sometimes will do is that they expect like you just walking into a corner store and you're going to be able to speak English and people should just automatically know your English because you have the dominant language worldwide. You know, (laughs) if you come in there with that attitude, that's not going to serve you. <laughs> no, there's so, we have a reputation for those arrogant Americans. Yeah, 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 yeah. We do sometimes. So, um, you know, learn a couple of lang- of words of the language and watch some YouTube videos if you need before you do. And mm-hmm. then go. Yeah, even if you just learn please and thank you, mm-hmm. that, that shows that you're at least... Um, having the courtesy it is a courtesy to uh, learn somebody else's um language in in just the manners that we use so um we're kind of i'm kind of going to go shift a little bit here and forgive me i know that you recently lost your mother may i ask you a question about that yes 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 Okay, so you have been really, really open with your grief about having lost your mother. And how has that impacted your work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you know, death is, is an eye-opener. <laughs> it shows you how to live. And watching my, my mother pass from uh, what you call neuroendocrine tumors. It's the same thing Aretha Franklin, ironically, passed from as well. She had the same type of tumors. Um, and so my mother passed from that, but it happened like the last six months were very, very, very fast. Mm -hmm. So she went from walking around and living her life and going to the store and buying her gadgets and stuff for the grandkids to not being able to walk, you know, not being able to eat, not being able to do the normal things that she did before. And so like watching that transition, it made me one have a deep respect for motherhood in general, because Mm -hmm. the things that I had to now do for her were things that she did for me, of course, for, you know, years growing up. And it also made me realize just indeed how precious life is. And so if I was stuck in doing something that was not bringing me joy, was not feeding my soul, 
was bringing me down and almost causing me to have a more of a zombie-like life experience, Mm -hmm. I realized that all of those things were not worth it. Like my mother passed at 65 years old. I had imagined because her mother passed at 85, I had imagined that she would probably surpass her mother, right? Right. So I started thinking, you know, really, Michelle, like for myself, I'm, I'm going to be 40 on October 30th. So I'm 39 right now. And so I started thinking like, oh my God, like what if I really only have 25 more years here on this earth? Mm-hmm. What do I want those 25 years to look like? You know, right. what do I want to put my energy into? And so I realized that for my business, the way I work with people, the people I attract, the people I accept as clients, Mm -hmm. that it was very important for me to protect my spirit and very important for me to live a fully authentic life. And so I believe that the gift that came from my mother's passing was one that allowed me to see the incumbency i guess like the it is incumbent upon us as humans i believe to live our life to the fullest and to be willing to step into areas that may not be as comfortable but that we feel called to do so that's what i have been bringing more into my work with publishing you know into my work with uh taking the women on the trips into my work even with head wraps you know like it is all about authenticity and living life to the fullest thank you very much so um so what are some of your biggest fears as you think about the future and what's coming up you know i my biggest fear in general this isn't really surrounding about business but my biggest fear in general is that as humanity we will have to relearn some of the mistakes and the catastrophes that happened with previous generations. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like every society should build upon the last society. You know, with everything that human beings have experienced up to this point right now, we should not only have the technological advances that we have, which are absolutely amazing, we should Mm -hmm. also have the mental advances. You know, our brains, we still are only operating at what, less than 10%, I think they say, Mm -hmm. of our human capacity? Like, why have we not learned how to tap into more of our brain power? Why have we not learned now how to actually love and connect to one another when we have had so many genocides before, you know, so many civil wars before? We've seen that stuff before. We've heard about these things that have happened both thousands of years ago and centuries ago, you know, and are coming up to today right now. And so I really feel like, like, what does it take? <laughs> what does it take for us to actually get the lesson? Like, get the lesson and not have to repeat that anymore. And so I think my biggest fear is like us continuing to have such a level of ignorance as a society that we don't get the lesson and, and therefore our our society just keeps going around like in circles, just back to the same point. You kind of go up and down, up and down, up and like back to the same point versus going at a trajectory where we're kind of shooting up, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's, 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 yeah, that's my fear. (laughs) Wow. That's, that's well explained. Thank you. And I, I'm very concerned about that too. It's like, are we really so stupid? We don't learn anything from the past. The past is there to teach us. It's, you know, learn your history lessons. Don't repeat them. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. So um, a lot of us want to have a nonprofit component to our business, some sort of giving from our business to something, uh, to mm-hmm. a, a, a nonprofit somewhere. So have you done that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you remember I told you, I, I think, uh, I think I mentioned today, but I used to work in Sierra Leone. Yes. Yes. Okay. So when I worked in Sierra Leone, um, I worked for a nonprofit organization that was not mine at that time. That was, you know, a separate nonprofit organization. But when I left that job, I then began to do my own development work in Sierra Leone. I started a scholarship program for young girls in Sierra Leone. And for years, I just sent money and just did it kind of, I guess, 
under the table, I would say, well, I would say not in a recognizable way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't until later that some of my friends were like, you know, you send all this money and people donate. Like my, my mother donated, my, my family will also donate. And she said, like, they don't get any type of tax write-off or anything, Zarina. <laughs> like, they're just doing it. And I was like, yeah, well, we don't do it for a tax write-off. She was like, yeah, but that's stupid to not actually get the benefits of, like, that come, you know, with having your own nonprofit. And so I was like, you know what? Yeah, that's true. So I started a nonprofit, you know, received our 501c3. And it's the Enliven Your Soul Foundation for Global Advancement. So the name, you know, is a spinoff of one of my uh, movements name, Enliven Your Soul. And so for me, it was just the smartest thing because I was always going to give anyway, right? Like I'm always going to be donating. I'm always going to give. And this way, it allowed me to create something that I have a full passion about. And then I just get to take money from my businesses and just support, you know, the programs that I want to do. So mm-hmm. kind of like Pepsi and then Pepsi Foundation or Ford and then Ford Foundation. I was like, well, I'm going to have Enliven Your Soul and Enliven Your Soul Foundation. Uh-huh. So I think that a lot of people should consider having their own um, nonprofit that is their nonprofit arm, you know, to their work. And if you don't want to deal with the paperwork that comes with that, then they can just find an organization that already exists and just support that mm-hmm. organization. Mm-hmm. But make it regular. You know, 5% of everything I make is going to go to this or, you know, whatever like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Great. So how does somebody get in contact with you or how does somebody learn more about your opportunities for like group travel or any of the things that you're doing? Yes, yes, yes. Um, so enlivenyoursoul.com is for our luminary program and our transformative travel. Um, so you can go to enlivenyoursoul.com. You'll be able to kind of see more about our philosophy and how we do work. We didn't talk very much about publishing today, but if there are any people who are interested in publishing a uh, movement building book of their own, then they can go to Book Power Publishing dot com book power publishing dot com mm-hmm. and so tell me a little bit more about what are you going to do when you take uh people to you said you were going this year you're going to or next year you're going to sierra leone and where else we're going to sierra leone bali and turkey sierra leone is in february bali uh-huh. is in august and then turkey is in october I I know a lot of people take people on events to Bali. That's kind of the one that I hear about an awful lot, but I I don't so much about Sierra Leone and and Turkey. So um, what will people be doing in those, um, those retreats? Yeah. So every trip, for example, Sierra Leone, where we land down in Freetown, which is the capital city Mm -hmm. of Sierra Leone. And um, we're going to not only meet with other nonprofit organizations, so we're going to be doing some nonprofit work, you know, kind of meeting with some movers and shakers. We're going to be looking at how we can establish a, uh, a school there in Sierra Leone. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to look at that. Um, we're also going to have a dream party with some young women there. So all of us, you know, each one of us um, has had somebody that's spoken something into us that inspired us to get to where we are right now. We want to also do that for the young women there. So we're going to hold what I call a dream party. I did this one time before and it was absolutely amazing, both for the girls, but then also the grandparents, like the older, their parents and grandparents, their grandmothers. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have a dream party there for the young ladies. And we're going to do like some cooking classes. We're going to go out to the ocean. We're going to see some villages. We're going to get some stuff made. Because every trip that I do, we always look at the artisan work (laughs) of Uh that country, right? So whether that be textiles or some weaving or some jewelry or whatever, like you're going to be able to pick up something pretty um, that's customized and Mm -hmm. not cutter. So we're going to definitely do that as well. And then we're going to have some opportunity just from some relaxation, just to be Mm -hmm. able to chill out, think clearly without somebody nagging you or pulling you for some responsibility. You know, we -hmm. handle everything on the ground. So when our women come to our excursions, like from the time we pick you up at the airport to the time that we drop you off 
at the airport, like you don't have to worry about what you're going to eat, you know, any of those things, they're all handled for you. So you get to kind of just relax and take in the opportunity. So that's going to be Sierra Leone. Bali, every region is totally different, right? And this is one right. of the reasons why we have these different three, these different regions. But Bali is definitely about relaxation, but it's also about culture as well. You know, Indonesia was colonized by the Dutch for, I think, about 300 years or so. But it's very interesting. Their colonization is different than other countries because Indonesia really held on to their many cultures. There are so many different indigenous cultures mm -hmm. in Indonesia. And so we're going to be looking at some of those, um, you know, looking at the way food works there, the way entrepreneurship works there, the way trade works there, all of those things. And uh, we're also going to have what we call a walkabout day. <laughs> so a walk, I won't go into it because it can get a little long. But basically, it is a day where you will be able to get into whatever your heart is calling you to at that time. Right? Mm -hmm. So if you're into, I don't know, maybe you really want to meet some business women who um, – work in Reiki or healing energy or something like that. Like then this would be your day to go and do that. Or maybe you're really interested in public speakers, you know, mm -hmm. in that region, then this would be your day to go and do that. So that's going to be the same. And then Turkey too, we're going to do that in Turkey as well. Yeah, that that's, wow. It sounds so exciting. I'm thinking I want to go to that one. I want to go to that one. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah it's really They're amazing. They're absolutely they're they're amazingly illuminating experiences. Yeah. Oh, that's really wonderful. Thank you so much for spending this time with us, Zarina. And one more time, please remind people how they can get in contact with you. Thank you so much, Michelle, too, for you even doing well, you know, in the way you kind of really get in. Um, and so for those who are interested in, in connecting with me, uh, you can go to um, enlivenyoursoul.com. Enliven is E-N-L-I-V-E-N yoursoul.com enlivenyoursoul.com um, or you can email me at zarina at enlivenyoursoul.com Perfect. Thanks so much, Zarina. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today as we learned happiness hacks, relationship tools, how to refuel our resilience batteries and perfect our roar. Resilience, optimism, accountability, and resourcefulness. Roar to win. I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN podcast hosts at EWNpodcastnetwork.com. This is the EWN Podcast Network.